Uh, good morning. Good morning. Okay, a couple of us are awake. This is great. My name is Aaron. I am uh, the pastor of New Community here at EV Free, and it is really exciting to be with you here this morning. Um, Tim Muehlhoff has been doing a phenomenal series called First Things. We're giving him a break today, all right? So we're going to be doing a one-off message today. But um, many of you know I have three beautiful daughters, and I really do need you to pray for me. Uh, a lot of estrogen in my home, which is wonderful. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we have been uh, doing in the last two years, my eldest daughter, Autumn, who's seven, she's playing soccer. And she's part of the Purple Peacocks. And uh, so every Saturday morning, uh, we got a game or something's going on. We got practice once a week. It's amazing. And one thing I noticed that my daughter did a couple of weeks ago, as she was running, uh, she was in a perfect position to stop the soccer ball. But she was like running alongside it as it's heading towards her goal. And I'm looking at this going, as a kind, godly parent, attack the ball! Attack the ball! Get that ball! What are you doing? And so she comes over during a water break and I lovingly encourage her. And Autumn, hey, don't be afraid of the ball. Attack the ball! All right? Dad, I am. I'm okay, 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 okay. Calm down, Aaron. Calm down, Aaron. Okay, so she goes back out there and still kind of struggling. So what do I do for the next couple weeks at practice before the next game? Autumn, do not be afraid of the ball. Attack the ball. Attack the ball. And so last weekend, it was amazing. All of a sudden, something came over my daughter. She just, this hootspuzz, you know, just came out of nowhere. And she started being tenacious and started going after the ball. And in fact, she not only scored once, she scored twice. She scored three times. And I was just like, boom. <laughs> Super dad, just talk to me. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like the soccer whisperer, you know? And so uh, I was really excited about that. This past weekend, no dice, no dice. Afraid of the ball, afraid of the ball, afraid of the ball. But for a moment there, my, my daughter got something. What did she find? She found motivation, she found something deep down that pushed her, pushed her past her fear to go after the ball. And I think about that. Isn't it amazing some of the things that can happen when we have the right motivation? So, for example, my wife's jaw dropped at our wedding reception when she saw me dance for the first and last time. <laughs> Never again. Every wedding, she's always like, are we going to dance? I'm like, no, no. But it's amazing too, like when I know that the Dallas Cowboys are playing, anybody? No, geez, it's terrible. It's a horrible year. I get it. Okay. But normally I'm excited. And so I can do the dishes so much faster, right? When I know the game's on, I'm like, oh, boom, 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 boom. But then when I know that there's a ballet recital we're running late for, it just takes a little longer. It takes a little, I take a little bit more of my time. I don't know why. It's because we have a certain motivation. But what happens when we lack motivation in areas of our life that are a little bit more important or, or that require a little bit more out of us, that the cost is a little bit greater in our life and we really need to be motivated, but it's just so hard. Whether maybe we're in debt and we really need to get our finances figured out, 
but we lack the motivation to look honestly at our budget. Or, or we're struggling maybe with some unresolved anger or bitterness from that person that hurt us a long time ago or a family member that we need to confront, but it's so, so hard. And we know deep down, man, if I did have this conversation, I know it would be the best thing, but I just don't want to deal with it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't want to take the risk. Or what happens if we lack the motivation to live out the purpose God has for us in our life? What happens then? You know, God in his word says he made us for a purpose. And wherever we're at in our spiritual journey with God right now, one of the things that we're reminded of in the scriptures is that God has made us for so much more than we often realize. But I don't know about you, for me, I often lack motivation at times from following Jesus. There are times in which I just don't want to do what he's calling me to do. Now, would it be better for my marriage if I did? Yes. Would it be better in my parenting? Yes. Would it be better in my finances? Yes. Or whatever that might be for you. But I think for any of us in here, we might be facing something in our life where we feel stuck. We feel like we're in a rut. Or we've kind of gotten into this status quo mentality and we're just not feeling motivated. Well, today what I want to do is I want to look at the motivation that is available for you from God if you want to live out your purpose for him. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. The verses will be up on the screen. You can follow along that way. But Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young mentee, Timothy. And Paul is going around Asia Minor. He's planting churches. And he'd stopped in Ephesus uh, a number of different times and done some um, some missionary work there to help strengthen the church in Ephesus. But then now he's in a different location. uh, And and he's, he's writing to Timothy because he knows... Timothy is in a really tough spot. And and Timothy is struggling to follow through in the purpose that God has for him there. And so one of the things that we need to take a brief pause at is to recognize what's going on in Ephesus. Ephesus is this city in modern-day Turkey. It's on the coastline, and it was part of the Roman Empire. It was a Roman province. And Ephesus was well known for a number of different things. One of the things, if you were a part of the Roman Empire, if you were a province, you had this thing in your city called the imperial cult. And you would worship the Roman emperor. And by participating in that worship, it was like representing the presence of the absent emperor as you worshiped. So that was really important for the different Roman provinces that were farther away from Rome to have and to have the city and the culture participate in. In addition, the city of Ephesus was well known. They had this place called the Temple of Artemis. And it was known at that time as one of the seven wonders of the world. This temple was magnificent and, and people would go there from all over the region to go worship Artemis. It was all having to do with fertility and, and having fertility with all kinds of things to bring prosperity to your family and also to your city. And so you would offer sacrifices. You would purchase these idols, these idols to Artemis. And so one of the things that was um, in Acts chapter 19 that's discussed is the fact that these silversmiths, who were making a lot of money, their livelihood was connected to the temple worship, was getting thrown off. 
Because Paul was going around in Ephesus preaching about this this Jesus in the synagogues and to the Greeks. And and people were turning away from from purchasing these little Artemis idols. And and so there was an uproar. There was a riot in the city. If you were to look at Acts 19, you could read all about it. And so we find in Ephesus, Timothy not only has all of this kind of in the background, but in his own church that he's supposed to kind of help kind of get healthy and to raise up godly leaders that follow God's purposes in his midst. In fact, he's got false teachers in the church that he's got to deal with, and he's just overwhelmed. He's just like, this is, this is so hard. And Paul knows that. And so Paul is writing to him here as we look at verse 12 through 17. And Paul's going to encourage Timothy from his own experience with God on how to find strength, how to find motivation to follow through on what God has for him and what God has for us. So we're going to read through these five verses first. We'll unpack it and then we'll talk a little bit about its relevance. Starting at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The first thing we notice, the first thing that motivates Paul, and he's motivating Timothy, is that Paul is motivated by God's grace on his own life. Paul's motivated by God's grace on his own life. He starts off in verse 12 through 14, recounting his former way of life. Notice in verse 13, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. It's all from God. He is living a life of gratitude. He's remembering what Jesus has done on his behalf. And he points out that, look, Timothy, I was once a blasphemer. I I was a persecutor. I, I, I was a violent, violent man. And Timothy knows this, but he needs to be reminded of this. In fact, Paul was a part of the religious sect that was persecuting the Christians, the followers of the way. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see this conversion of Saul. It's unbelievable. But let's turn to Acts chapter 26 and see what he's talking about here in verse 9 through 11. Acts 26, 9 through 11. Here he is sharing his personal testimony with a a local ruler, King Agrippa. And this gives us a little bit of an insight into Paul's past for those who may not be familiar. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that it's just what I did in Jerusalem. 
On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. People were put to death because of Paul. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme, which is basically to have a false um, understanding of who God is and to call people to say the same. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul was a spiritual hitman. I mean, he's going around and he's, and he's, he's, he's persecuting followers of Jesus. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the Messiah King, Paul is remembering this and he's like, can you believe this? Like, this was my former way of life. I mean, of, of all the people that God should just write off, it's me. It's me. The word for violent there in the original language is where we get the term hubristic person. It's someone who's disrespectful and brash and forward in their action and statements. It's really arrogance. It's kind of carrying your fist out at God. Now notice, Paul is doing this in ignorance and unbelief. But I want to make it very clear. He's not saying because of his ignorance and unbelief, God's like, oh, that's okay. What he's saying is he's saying God's mercy and his grace came upon him. God's mercy means compassion. And and grace means unmerited favor. And the reality is no matter where we're at, God is wanting to extend mercy and grace to us. The question is, will we receive it? Now, we're sitting here, we read this, and Paul's motivated by God's grace, but I think what's very interesting for me is oftentimes I'm not very motivated to obey God in the moment sometimes because I don't remember how broken I really am. I, 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 I kind of, yeah, 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 I'm a sinner, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've made mistakes, and yeah, I think certain thoughts, and yeah, yeah, I've kind of disobeyed God's at times, but I'm really not that bad, Right? It's so easy for us to look at Paul and go, man, he was really jacked up, okay? Yeah, I'm not really that, that bad, right? And so what I, I think what happens is our motivation to follow God's purposes is weakened a little bit when we don't honestly assess our own brokenness without God's grace, without his help. You know, back in college, I did this intentionally. I grew up in the church, and I remember God... You can have every part of my life except dating. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to dating. You don't. And so I'm just going to date how I want to date. And so for the first two years of college, I kind of just dated whatever I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. That sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? And I just remember because I wasn't submitting that part of my life to God, I was so selfish I was so selfish. Now, from a worldly standpoint, if you looked at those relationships, you would, you know, oh, that just seems like a normal relationship. But I look back and I go, wow. Because I I hadn't humbled myself and remembered how gracious God had been, I said, I'm just going to kind of take authority and rule over this part of my life and just see how it goes. And littered behind me were all these broken, bad relationships that I engaged in. And so, again, one of these things when it comes back to is God doesn't grade us on a scale, right? When we grew up and we went to school, maybe we're in school right now, and we take a test, we get a 68. 
And we're like, oh. And then we find out, oh, it's 80 is the scale. Yes, I did well, right? But God doesn't grade like that. He doesn't do that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means everyone falls short of God's standard for human flourishing. If you want to flourish as a human being, as God designed you to be made in his image, oh, we all fall short. Why? Because our hearts are bent towards ourselves and not our creator. And Paul is saying, look, oh, I am amazed by my former way of life. I see how much grace God has extended to me and his grace covered all of my sin. This is huge. Think about how Paul would have to walk into some of these churches where maybe somebody who was killed because of their faith in Jesus, because of Paul, it's a family member that's in that church. And he shows up in there. I mean, can you just imagine how that experience went? And yet Paul is overwhelmed and delighted and pursuing God's purposes all because of the grace he's been shown in light of that. Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does he mean by that? He means, man, I remember my former way of life and the grace that was shown to me. And because of that, I can be motivated to obey God in all kinds of circumstances. He tells this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.1. He says, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So if you are in here and you need to be strengthened and motivated in some way to trust in God with some area of your life, one motivation that Paul says is to be motivated by the grace that God has had on your life. Number one. Number two is in verse 15 through 16. Paul is also motivated by the gospel. He's motivated by the gospel. Here's a trustworthy saying, he says, which means you need to be all in on this. And this verse has changed the lives of countless generations of Christians in history. He says, this deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. Now, unpacking a couple of those words is significant. Christ is the title for anointed one. Jesus is obviously Jesus' human name. And so here you have Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one that God is going to send to restore Israel back to God. But it's a renewed Israel. It's, it's a renewed Israel by placing faith in Jesus Christ as the true Lord and Savior of the world. So that means Jew and Gentile, non-Jew, everyone has access to God's forgiveness and God's grace. Everyone, and it's all through Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world. World, what is that? Is that just kind of a general statement about kind of the earth? No, world represents lost and broken humanity. Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Now, the term save sinners sounds really churchy to us. We're like, yeah, yeah, save sinners. We're so numb when we think about that. It's not very compelling at times. But to save is to rescue. And, and, and sinners means that every single person who is living under their own rule and authority, as if we are the CEOs of our life, we are the ones that need to be rescued. And, and that's everybody. 
right? We are just bent towards that. And so Paul is saying, this is great news. And he says this, in fact, this is so great because of my former way of life, I am the worst of all sinners. And you're like, uh, okay, is that, is that a little overboard, Paul? Really? Are you the worst of sinners? What he's saying there is as he sees his broken past and he sees the grace of God, he recognizes, oh, how amazing God really is. You know, when we come and give our lives to Jesus Christ, the problem, I think, for some of us is we get a little bit arrogant. We get a little bit prideful. We know the truth. We know Jesus. They don't. They're going to go to hell. You're just going to write them off. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. For those people who have encountered the good news of Jesus, we should be so blown away by God's grace and mercy, we should be able to look at our lives humbly and, and really look at ourselves honestly and say, no, no, truly, I am the worst. I know my thoughts. I, I know what I think about. I know my tendencies. And that sense of humility allows us to join in with God's purposes in the world, to share that with other people, to say, look, oh man, I, I'm a beggar too, and I just found some food, and here you go. And that's the type of life that Paul is exhorting and encouraging for those who've been touched by the gospel. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly that evil is still in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. So, what motivates Paul here? Is it a sense of guilt? Like, oh, I gotta make up for all my past mistakes? No. He's already experienced the grace of God. This is unmerited favor, all because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so what is he saying? He's saying, look, I'm now caught up in God's great purpose in the world to rescue people. And in fact, what he says right there is he says, because I'm the worst of sinners, God, by his mercy and grace, is going to use my life as an example to help other people believe in Jesus and have eternal life. That, That when we receive the gospel, Our life purpose has shifted from chasing after the American dream, from chasing after that perfect someone, from chasing after that perfect body, from chasing after whatever is in your mind. It's now joining God in his mission in the world to help people know that they can have a relationship with God as well. You know, very recently, I've been driving my 2003 Honda Accord without air conditioning. It went out for the last three months. It's been awful, okay? I've been sweating everywhere I go. I had to do a wedding. I was the officiant, and I literally get out of the car, no air conditioning, super hot, and you could see through my white shirt. That was not a pretty picture for anybody, okay? And and I'm just like, oh, I need a new car. So I I ended up going to a dealership, ended up purchasing uh, a new used car, but there was a part of me that was really sad because this old Honda Accord had, had a lot of meaning to me. The reason why, I had to take a, I had to take a little selfie. And, and, and I was like, I'm really sad to say goodbye. Why? Well, this car was sold to me many years ago by a friend. I was actually working at Mariner's Church, and uh, my friend Mark Middleberg, who was um, mentoring me, he said, Aaron, I know you need a car. I got a friend who's selling his car. I go, who? He said, Lee Strobel. I go, great. Lee Strobel, case for Christ, evangelist, author, millionaire. He's like, yeah. I'm like, 
what am I going to buy from Lee Strobel? He said, no, he's selling a Honda. Relax. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. So I go to Lee's house. He's incredibly gracious. I go for a test drive like I needed to go on a test drive. I come back. I go, okay, how much? And Lee says to me, Aaron, I'll give it to you for half off. Half of its normal marketplace price. And my jaw just dropped. I was overwhelmed. I said, why on earth would you do that? He said, Aaron, God has been so generous to me. And he wasn't talking about his finances. God has been so generous to me in Jesus Christ. I feel like I have been so blessed. I want to just, I just want to bless other people. And this might be one way to do that. I was overwhelmed. You know, when we receive the gospel and understand that it's for everybody, we are going to be humbly using our lives to demonstrate God's mercy and his grace to others. Paul is motivated by God's grace. Paul's motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, verse 17, Paul's motivated by God's glory. By God's glory. Notice, he bursts out into praise. This is called the doxology in verse 17. He says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's overwhelmed as he reflects upon the grace and the gospel. And he's, he's looking and he's like, oh man, God is amazing. He's glorious. And think about it. Paul's writing to Timothy. Where's Timothy? He's in Ephesus, steeped with all of these false and man-made idols that are going to be trash in just a matter of time. They're not real. And here Paul is contrasting the one true God, his divine attributes, his eternality. He's been around forever. He will be around forever. He's immortal. That means he'll never decay. You know, he, he is the one true God in contrast to everything else that other people are worshiping. Timothy, what do you need to be afraid of? Look how glorious this God really is. But Paul knows that we have a human tendency to worship creation rather than our creator. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. For images like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. It's just natural. It's part of what we do. We worship the latest operating system, upgrade, home, car, candidate. We just, we do that. It's natural. Have you ever been surprised when you're walking around town and you see somebody famous? Has that ever happened to you? No, nobody. Okay, perfect. You're walking around, you're like, oh, they were in that show or they were that movie. You know, this has happened to me a couple times in my life. And what's so frustrating is when I'm with my wife and I'm like, don't you know who this is? We are in the sphere of amazing right now. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, and I've got to explain to her. And then she's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, and, and, And it's like, what do you mean? But I feel like I'm that friend who needs to be reminded of the glory of God. It's like, I, I forget. You know, I, I love worshiping created things. I love to worship stuff and ideas so much more 
than the glorious God at times. And here's Paul just reminding us over and over again, who is more worthy than this king of all kings? Timothy, look, you don't need to be afraid. Reach these people for Jesus Christ. It is worth it. He is worthy. And so how do you bring honor and glory to a king forever and ever? It's a life dedicated to service to him. It's a life dedicated to bringing, to bringing him more praise and to pointing more people to him. So Paul's motivated by God's grace, by the gospel, and by the glory of God. I don't know if you're going to remember that. So here's what I would say is the one takeaway I want you to leave here today with. It's very important. We're motivated by what we magnify. We're motivated by what we magnify. And and the problem is, is we live in a world where we can magnify the wrong God's all the time. A couple examples. We can magnify a person. That perfect person. That perfect relationship. We can magnify our possessions, our stuff. That's going to just go away and die. We're not going to be able to take it with us. We can magnify acquiring more power. Control over our circumstances. Security. Protection. Comfort. We can magnify our own pleasure. You know, God gave us feelings But if we just were led by our feelings all the time, it would be disastrous. Imagine a bunch of two-year-olds running our country. Disaster. And yet we so often make decisions and operate like that. We can magnify a position, a title, like my executive pastor's office. I wouldn't mind that place, right? Or or that that manager position, or to be the best mom ever, or whatever that title might be, that position might be, we can worship that as well. But we can also magnify a false perspective about God. You know, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Why? Because it's going to impact every part of your life. And that's why it's so important for us to understand and know That our God is a God of grace. Our God has given us the gospel. And our God is worthy of glory. Paul reminds us in Romans 5.8, While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So, something I want you to think about. Since we're so motivated to magnify different things, what would it look like to throw off our false gods to bring honor and glory to God? in your finances, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your school, in your friendships, in your bodies, sexuality, your business, your homes. What would it look like to cast off the false gods that we are chasing after and just focus on bringing honor and glory to the God who's worthy? So here's some ideas for to take some next steps. If some of you in here do not know Jesus Christ, this is your day. This is your day to finally say, I am crossing the line of faith. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is this. You simply need to pray in your mind and your heart, Jesus, please forgive me. I need a fresh start. I need to be forgiven of leading my own life. I want to follow you. 
Jesus, would you place your Holy Spirit in me? Would you help me to continue to walk with you? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Amen, that's it. And if you have done that right now, we need to know about it. We want you to tell the people you came with, let us know. We want to encourage you and help you get connected to take your next steps. You don't, you can't do this alone. The second thing is if you are a follower of Jesus, I don't know about you, but you just need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. And so you got a little sticker when you walked in the door and that little sticker, take that sticker out. Take that sticker out right now. You're like, what on earth? This might be the dumbest idea ever. Okay, but I'm going to give it a shot. What's one thing we're constantly checking throughout the day, no matter where you are, what you're doing? What are you checking? Phone! You're checking your phone! I want you to write on that sticker, G, G, G. Grace, gospel, glory, as a reminder of who's worthy of your worship. And I want you to stick that thing on the back of your phone. Now, Disclaimer, I have no idea if it will come off. (laughs) Don't email me. I'm sorry. Take a chance. As a reminder, every time you take your phone out, you'll be reminded, God, what am I doing? Oh, Lord, and just pray. You could talk to him about that. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you need motivation for, may you be reminded that God is a God of grace. He's extended us the gospel, and he is glorious. Do this for maybe seven days. See how it goes. Lastly, this is the most important. Jesus himself said, I am going to give you a way to remember what I have done for you. I'm going to give you a way, and it's through communion. And so if you're part of the communion team, will you please come forward and prepare us? But what is communion about? And for some of us, maybe we've given our life to Christ this morning. This might be your first communion. Communion is for followers of Jesus. To worship and celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has extended to us. Jesus met with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. He broke bread before them. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he raised it up. and He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. It reminds us of his shed blood on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. And so we want to take a few minutes as we get the elements to pray and reflect about, God, what are the false gods that I've been chasing after? Forgive me. I want to worship you and follow you and be motivated by you alone. Amen.